Okay, and welcome back to Linux in the Ham Shack. Uh, I'm glad all y'all decided to download us this time, and uh, we are really starting to get popular around the world. I am Richard, KB5JBV, over here on the Octaventral Hebephone, and over there in the corner is Russ on the bass. Say hello, Russ. Hello, everybody. This is Russ, K5TUX, just out from the Cone of Silence, and... Welcome to Linux in the Ham Shack, episode number nine. Number nine. Who would have thought it? Who would have thought that we could have talked for nine hours and said uh, very little? <laughs> uh, hope everything's been going uh, going well your way out there, Russ. We'd like to thank the. We'd like to welcome the studio audience. Uh, those of you who uh, haven't been checking in with us, y'all go over to the website. Uh, blacksparrowmedia.com stroke LHS. We post a schedule of, uh, when we're going to record and most of the time we hit it. And when we're recording, we, uh, try and run, uh, some audio down through Ustream. So, uh, you can get to that by way of the webpage also. At this time, oh yes, we're welcoming the studio audience. That would be Cheryl up in uh, Missouri and Ted. I'm not sure where Ted is. W-A-0-E-I-R, Ted up there. Uh, Ted writes, uh, writes a few, uh, Linux, Linux applications and, uh, we're glad to have him on board. All right. Let's move on to, uh, to feedback. First up, let's see what we got here. We have a pingback off of pen, uh, off of a, uh, a blog. We got a lot of guys out there blogging about us. Let me, uh, let me, uh, take a look at this real quick. Uh, over at his site, which is called uh, Spinning and Grinning. Nice little write-up. He found an excellent podcast, he says, focusing on Linux in support of amateur radio. The show is hosted by Richard, KB5JVB, Juliet Bravo Victor, y'all, not Juliet Victor Bravo, and Russ, K5TUX. This first episode debuted in October of 2008, the first episode. And as of this month, they're at a total of eight episodes, with another episode due any day. Richard is a good old boy from Dallas, Texas, and it is worth listening to the show just to hear his banter. Russ is the brains behind the operation. There is also a forum for discussion. Y'all keep on blogging about us out there. Get the word out. Tell everybody Tell everybody you know. 87MI is the gentleman whose uh, blog that is. And if y'all want to go check his place out, it's at www.87mi.com. And uh, we are page 2045, so he's been kind of active. All right, Russ, uh, what you got? Got an email here from Richard, uh, Victor Echo 6 Lima Echo, V-E-6-L-E. And he wrote me and said, I work in an IT development shop, and we love the Code Monkey song from LHS Episode 8 at the 10-minute, 15-second mark. Who does this song, and where can I download the MP3? Um, the song was uh, called Code Monkey by Jonathan Colton, and that is in the show notes. And I uh, sent an email back indicating that you can go to the show notes and get that information. And you can get the music from every episode in the show notes, and I've actually got everything pretty much caught up. And further in the email here, he says, On a side note, I'm setting up a D-Star Internet Gateway PC for our club's D-Star repeater system. Gateway runs the CentOS 5 Linux distribution. I usually work in a Windows world, so listening to the LHS podcast keeps me from completely forgetting my training in Linux. It comes in handy sometimes, like for a D-Star Gateway. And that's from Richard, V-E-6-L-E. Go ahead. You gonna talk about D Star? Well, no. I was gonna. I was gonna say, uh, Richard, thank you, because we know anybody with Richard is the brains of the outfit. Thank you for writing that email. And not according to AI seven or what is it? AL seven MI. Eighty seven MI. Eighty seven MI. That's it. Well, now that we're fooling around, we'd like to welcome uh, KG6ZYC, who's in the chat room also, goes by Starshine. Well, we can we can do that, and uh, let's see, he knows Jonathan Colton. Well, I'm unsure who Jonathan Colton is, and thank you, Ted, for announcing us down there on uh, IRC. Maybe we'll get some more folks showing up. What else you got, Russ? 
Well, I've got another ping back. I actually have a Google alert set up, and uh, it looks like we were mentioned on a website that we mentioned last week, K7JM's blog uh, at radio.mcdougalshome.net. Uh, he mentioned uh, us in one of his posts, and I just wanted to thank him for getting the word out about us, and we have put a link to radio.mcdougalshome.net on the Linux in the Hamshack site. So we're doing a little reciprocity there. I think I'll let you hit the next one here. It looks like uh, let's talk about uh, our airing in uh, New Zealand. Well, that right there is an interesting one. In fact, uh, actually, it's uh, Overstone, uh, Tasmania, uh, just south of Australia. Uh, we've got some listeners to the other show in Hobart, which is on the other end of the island. But uh, Al, VK7AX, uh, has apparently been airing portions of Linux in the ham shack down there, and we sure appreciate that, Al. We want the guys down in Tasmania to give us a listen. We've got, like I said, we've got several listeners on the other show down there. Seems to, uh, seems that it ran on the, uh, one of the audio nets down there, but this is a ATV organization down there in Tasmania. Uh, the announcement was, hello listeners, following our details of the nightly broadcast aired by VK7AX for 19-2, uh, 19-2-2009 for putting that in English, that would be February 19th. Uh, tonight, scheduled program consists of ex extracts from Linux in the Ham Shack. I'm going to have to go listen to this. Uh, about 29 minutes of it. Uh, Richard? KB5, KBV, Kilo Bravo, Bravo Victor, uh, <laughs> and Russ, K5, TUX. How come y'all always get Russ's right? Because uh, <laughs> mine's, mine's easier than yours. Continue, continue their discussion on, on the use of Linux operating system for applications within the ham shack. Uh, Linux in the ham shack, number five, posted, uh, by Russ, K5TUX in podcast and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, episode number five is here. Okay. And that's just, uh, off our page down below that. Also, no, that's off our page too. So he reprint, reprinted our page. For those of y'all who are down in, uh, down in Tasmania on the north side around, uh, Overstone and Devonport, Devonport, uh, y'all can catch these, uh, some of these things on uh, the 43.825 megahertz uh, six meter repeater, 147.425 megahertz simplex, uh, 70 centimeter ATV at 444.250 voice, 449.2750. Uh, it says S. I would imagine that's video. And on two meters on the 145.350 echo link node, number 100478, VK7AX, Alpha X-ray, uh, dash L. And, or if y'all want to check out his website, go on over to uh, www.2.VK7AX.ID.UA. And once again, thank you very much, Al. Al. So there you go. We're on the air in, in on the in the southern hemisphere, Russ. What will they think of next? I don't know, but the more places we get repeated, the happier I'll be. Okay. What else you got? Well, we've got another short note that was posted as a comment on the website from Henry KD8ARO. Another comment about D-Star, and he says, just thought you could help me. I'm interested in D-Star on Linux. Richard, hook a fellow ham up with your vast wealth of knowledge. So there's uh, two pings on D-Star. So I think you, we're going to have to make sure you bone up in your D-Star. And um, I don't know, do we need to do uh, an episode or a half an episode on D-Star? Uh, we may end up having to do that in the future, but uh, I've spoken to Henry, and both the ones that I have, here in my hand are uh, from Henry KD8ARO. Let me uh, run through that real quick. We don't want to bore everybody with this because we know there's a lot of folks out there that couldn't give uh, a wet slap about D-Star. 
But the question he was asking in, in an email, and I didn't print the exact, the actual email, is the information he was wanting was about a pro- program that's used for terminal, terminal communication, kind of like digital down on HF called DRATS, D-R-A-T-S, DRATS. And, uh, what this is is a terminal program that, uh, allows you to chat back and forth over the D-Star network over D-Star simplex using the digital protocol. What he was wanting to know is could he download it and run it in Wubi? Well, I would assume that it runs in Wubi as well as it does in Ubuntu, and I'm running Ubuntu here and also running DRATS. So y'all, uh, y'all bear with me just a minute and let me run through this real quick. His main question was, doesn't think it's as easy as going to the repository and getting it. Well, it's not because DRATS is not in the Ubuntu repository or any other Linux repository that I'm aware of at this time. And Ted's probably up on that and may correct me here in a minute, and we'll see. But at this time, you have to go to the DRATS page, D-R-A-T-S, and the uh, web page is www.d-rats.com. Dan has his uh, site set up as a wiki, so that as things progress, uh, you can get the information you need. One of the things you'll need to do is go to the download area and download uh, one of the versions, preferably the most current, of the DRATS program. It's written in Python, which will throw a lot of the new guys to Linux because we're used to downloading uh, a copy of a Windows program, clicking a button, it puts everything where it needs to go, and all we have to do is go find the .exe file. It's a little bit different in this case because DRATS is written in Python. So when you download it, then you'll have to extract it, and if you double-click on the file you download, the archive manager will probably open up. If you're using Ubuntu, it will open up, and it will ask you where you want to extract it to. Extract that to a directory. Now, before you can run this, you're going to have to download some extra programs. And this is easy enough. Open your terminal. For those of you coming over from Windows, that would be the same as opening a DOS screen. I'm sure y'all found that already. And I'm not going to waste a lot of time explaining that. But if you're running Debian, you need to type, you need to type in that terminal screen. Well, first of all, you need to type SUDO unless you've set up a root account. But for you new guys, you type S-U-D-O, space, and then apt, A-P-T, dash, get, G-E-T, space, install, space, and then you're going to have to add the program names, which are Python, dash, serial, Python, dash, G-T-K-2, Python, dash, lib, X-M-L-2, which is L-I-B, X-M-L-2, Python-lib-xslt1. There's a similar uh, procedure for Fedora Red Hat and CentOS, and it appears that somebody has taken the time to put together an RPM package for those so that uh, to make it easier. There's also instructions on this page for adding it to a netbook, and uh, Mac OS, and there's even a Windows version for those of y'all who want to try it out that are still running Windows. Uh, this information is available at www.drats.com. Go on over, look around. Uh, Dan is always happy to have new people come on board and help him hammer out whatever bugs might be involved. Uh, as far as this is concerned, I like to run cross-platform software. There's... Uh, Another terminal program that's written for uh, uh, D-Star that everybody's using, unfortunately, it is Windows only. With this, I can have it on my desktops, my laptop, everything. And I have three D-Star radios and I'm considering getting another. I'm going to send an email back to this guy, Russ, and uh, now we've got it on in a verbal form. And we need to go ahead and, uh, I think, add this list to the website if we get a chance. So that's me mouthing about D-Star, and I hope I didn't run everybody off. All right, Russ, uh, what else you got? Well, I have one more pingback from a site called Totally Cool Tech. 
Apparently they um, capture the RSS feeds from a bunch of technical-based podcasts. Um, the site that I found this on was www.totallycooltech.com slash WordPress with a capital W and a capital P. And they mentioned that um, they're capturing our RSS feed and posting uh, updates whenever we release an episode to their website. So if you go to that website um, or search for it on Google, we will show up every time an episode comes out. So we definitely seem to be getting a lot of people uh, pinging us back. Our exposure seems to be going up. Oh, yeah. Uh, apparently we found something that works. Uh, they're getting a little tired over at, Res- over at the other show. And uh, I don't get near as much email as we've been getting on this. I don't get posted a lot of places and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, this show is really taking off. Apparently we found something that we're doing right. Let's see. What do I got here? Uh, I got a couple things I want to say. First one is Shackbox. The official first version of Shackbox is out. We're going to talk about it a little more in a bit. Uh, I've had, I've talked to her. We've been, uh, running it this week. It's got a, a minor thing that I contacted him over and, uh, he's going to work on it, but we'll discuss that when we get to that segment. Also, we are now listed on the tech podcast network. Want to send your friends over there to pick us up, or if you uh, have some shows you pick up from over there, I listen to Adrian Bacon's Linux News Log from over there. That's a pretty good situation. Uh, where Shackbox is concerned, we'll get back to that. And last but not least, Russ and I are finally, finally have a name in the United Kingdom. We are some folks. Yes, we are some folks. I was listening to a podcast that I listen to regularly, which is one that uh, hadn't been on the air too terribly long, that comes out of England and Ireland. And uh, I was listening to them, and uh, they were uh, chugging along, and the statement was pretty much, uh, you've heard some folks talking about Linux, but we prefer to run Windows. And that's fine. That's their choice. But... Considering that I've mentioned that podcast, I promoted it quite heavily when it first started, and uh, they didn't even want to say our name, I'm a little bit upset. I would like to say thank you, Colin, in Ireland, and Martin, in London. So, have you got anything else over there, Russ? Not as far as feedback. I've uh, exhausted my stack of printed material, so... If you don't have anything else, it might be break time, but do you have anything else? I do not have anything else, and now that I have said said my piece, I'm, I'm all better. It'll probably get cut, but at least I said it. With that, y'all, let's go ahead and take a short break. I'm going to kick back and blow on my Octaventral Hebe phone here, and we'll be back in a few minutes and talk about Shackbox. Well, I'm going to write a protest song, get some big words in. I'll play the same few chords over and over again Cause I wanna send a message to the people I don't know Be tanning on the beach on some Arctic island shore
things into balance, and that's a challenge. All benevolent minds won't be silenced. A million science facts that aren't biased, except the ones where the dollar gave it guidance. Ignore the oil-rich politician. Ignite the movement, reduce emissions. A bunch of little things will make a difference to let our world continue with its brilliance. So I gotta write a protest song and save my next of kin. Guess it's time we buckle down and take one off the chin. Cause I wanna send a message to the people that I don't know. We'll be tanning on the beach on some Arctic island shore. We'll be tanning on the beach in the land of the Eskimo. Okay, and we're back. I hope I didn't disturb y'all with my, my musical stylings over here in the corner. I think Russ turned me off while the music was playing, but uh, I guess that remains to be seen. We were telling y'all several shows back about uh, about some live DVD, live CDs that uh, would run Linux applications, and you really didn't have to put them on your hard drive or install them in your computer. And uh, there's a fella in, uh, in France that we've talked about the last couple shows that is putting together a new one because the ones that we were suggesting for the most part are kind of old. They've been around a while. Things have changed. doesn't mean they're not good. It's just the software on them is kind of uh, ancient. So the one we're talking about now is the one written by Herve, Herve, F0FAK, over in France, and it's called Shackbox. Shackbox is a live DVD, which is uh, supposed to be based on uh, Ubuntu. Ubuntu, sorry. Sorry for the nitpicker from episode one. Uh, Ubuntu. For the most part, I've been looking at it, and I'm fairly impressed with it. It does need uh, a few things, but we're going to talk about that. What are your thoughts on Shackbox, Russ? Well, I have quite a few thoughts on Shackbox, actually. I decided to download it today. Um, that was the first thing that I noticed about it is that it is DVD sized. The download of the carbon version, which is the current version is 2.5 gigs. So it's not a download for the faint of heart. It is based on Ubuntu 8.10. That is the core operating system of Shackbox. And that version, as far as I can figure out from the website is version 1.1.5 which is a beta release candidate. For what that's worth, that should set off sirens and bells in your head if you're actually thinking about installing it, because it definitely is beta, and it definitely has some problems. However, if you're running it as a live CD, you don't have to worry about wrecking your system or anything, so go ahead and play. On my list here, as, as a live CD... I did find that it booted relatively slowly, partially because it is a live CD and partially because it is huge. I installed, or rather I ran it on a Pentium 4 hyper-threaded machine, 3.0 gigahertz processor with 512 megs of RAM, and it took 1 minute and 53 seconds to boot up to the login screen. I figure that's pretty considerable even for a live CD. I noticed that when it was booting up, the screen, my screen, stayed black the whole time from the kernel selection all the way to the login screen. There's no uh, indication of anything going on with the system except, if you're lucky enough to have one, a disk activity light. So knowing what's going on during the boot sequence is hard because there is no progress indication whatsoever. Uh, hopefully in future versions that will get fixed. Now I have a widescreen monitor, and when Shackbox booted up, it couldn't detect my screen resolution. So I had to monkey with it a little bit in order to get it to show properly on my screen. I actually lost the top and bottom of the desktop which made things a little interesting um, at the beginning. The keyboard layout is set to a French alternative keyboard setting by default, which made typing really interesting because a lot of the keystrokes are reversed, like A and Q, M and comma, and some stuff like that. But I found that if you go to the system tab 
at the top of the screen, go to Preferences, Keyboard, and Layout. You can select the default USA layout, and that fixes that problem. Definitely something you want to do before you fire up a terminal or start sending something through PSK, because your output's going to be a little bizarre. Um, I've got a lot more, but why don't you throw something in here? Give me some of your impressions. Well, as you know, one of the things I was saying during the break was um, it's a little heavy for my taste. You know, um, that he everything amateur radio. There's stuff in here that's amateur radio that I have never even seen before. Programs, uh, GPS stuff. I mean, this is very inclusive. The desktop. It's a good-looking desktop. Uh, sometimes you, you see something that good, and it's hard to believe that it's known. Best I can tell, that's what it is. Now, there's a lot of good, usable software in this. Uh, once again, I had a similar problem. I run through a KVM switch, and for those of y'all who don't know what one of those is, go and look it up on Google. You'll, it'll be all over the place. A lot of times the machines have a little bit of trouble identifying my monitor through the switch. So the resolution was a little off, and I had to tinker with it a little bit. I have talked to uh, or sent an email to Herb and let him know that the key mapping is still off. He has sent one back and uh, let me know that he tried uh did his best to make sure that it was right before he released it as Carbon Edition. But uh, he's going to go back and give it a give it another swing with the old hammer, and uh, he's got several guys helping him out. F five DM, F five LPR, F zero FYF. So uh, he's actually putting a team together over there. Now, as far as usability for you new guys, if you're trying something out, don't go to this. If you're an amateur radio operator that does know uh, the software a little bit. Uh, as far as the Windows software and that kind of stuff, this may be the thing for you. And it has big potential in the future. Uh, unfortunately, this first release, in my opinion, uh, everything's in the right place. Uh, it will be a good system when the little minor inconveniences are out of the way. What else you got, Russ? Well, like I said, I'm, I have a lot of stuff on here, but let's see. The next thing I had on my list was that um, unlike a typical Ubuntu install, uh, the live CD does allow you to log in directly as root uh, from the login screen. If that's something you're interested in, you can do it uh, with this particular distribution. When you actually log in, you have to log in as the user Herve with the password of Shackbox. I actually had to go to the Shackbox FAQ to find that out. Uh, but once you log in, um, you get a couple of uh, what are called desklets that are on the screen that show CPU and memory load on the server, which I think are on the PC, which I think is nice. And at the bottom, at, well, at the top, there's a bar that looks just like a normal Ubuntu login or desktop where it has your uh, application system drop downs, so on and so forth, your clock. And then at the bottom, it has a very Mac OS-like taskbar with a bunch of amateur radio and other applications. And what comes on by default, and I have a list here, is uh, Ham Radio Deluxe, which interestingly is a Windows application. And so there's Wine built into Shackbox to run Windows apps. ACARS D, which is an ACARS decoder uh, for Linux. There's uh, Exoscope. Multi-PSK, which is also a Windows application, uh, written by another Frenchman, F6CTE. Uh, there's LinPSK, QSSTV, XCalc, which is a uh, not a amateur radio application necessarily, but it's a scientific calculator. There's GPredict, which is a satellite tracker and orbital projection program, and that one's written by OZ9AEC. There's a BCS ICOM, which is an ICOM control application, if you happen to have a CI-V ICOM controller. There's a Trunk View and LTR Analyzer, which are trunked radio decoders for decoding transmissions using the MPT-1327 protocol. Now, I don't even know what that is, but that's one of the default apps. 
Then there's uh, Pro96Com, which is another Windows application under Wine, which is for access to the control channel for several different scanners. And then there's some other uh, ICOM-based uh, radio control applications. I noticed that uh, the things that show up by default tend to be ICOM-related, so I'm guessing that F0FAK is... Uh, more of an ICOM fanatic than some of the other rigs. And there's also Firefox and the terminal. So all of those things show up by default down in the little bar at the bottom that looks like the little Mac OS thing where you run your mouse over them and they uh, blow up in size and you get the cool effects. Shackbox does use Compass, so it's got uh, some of the 3D effects built into it uh, by default. So that's pretty cool. That was my basic impression of the live CD. It ran slowly enough that I only used it long enough to sort of get a feel for it. And then I went ahead and wiped my system and installed it. And I've got some more comments on the install version, but I've been running my head a while, so what else you got? Well, I've been sitting here going through a, a couple things and uh, taking a look at this. You know, y'all t- y'all be gentle with us. This is our first review. But things that are not on the desktop, there's a pretty extensive list uh, in the application menu. Uh, yes, there's definitely uh, ICOM rig control stuff. There's also a section on a handful, a handful, I say, of uh, Yezu radios. But believe it or not, this is Yezu programming software down in that area. Uh, antenna design programs. It's like I said, this will be a an outstanding, outstanding distribution when the minor annoyances are out of the way. But one of the benefits is that uh, it does, for those of you who are still Windows users or are and have been Windows users, there are programs in there that are demand in amateur radio, in demand in amateur radio. Uh, one of the one, the one that comes to mind first is ham radio deluxe. Now I'm sorry. I did not have the, uh, the cables hooked up so that I could test all of the ham radio deluxe under this. I do know that the rig control portion does work on the, uh, Yezu FT897 because I did give that a shot. Once again, one of the biggest problems is there is so much software in this that unless you're running a pretty fast machine and the one that I'm uh, I run it on and running am running it on right at this moment is a two gigahertz machine with about a half a mag half a gig of memory in it. So it does take a little time because all that stuff has to be uh, loaded from the disk into memory so you're able to use it. For the most part, I'll be looking at this and watching it. I myself, like I, I myself, have only run it from the live live CD, so uh, we probably need to hear what Russ has got to say about the installed version. Because yes, this is installable as is most live CDs. Well, I did install it, and I'm much happier with it once it's installed. Uh, it runs a lot faster. The installation procedure has been streamlined somewhat from the basic Ubuntu install. Um, I think there's only five or six different screens that you have to go through to do the install. It took about 30 to 35 minutes on the machine that I have it installed on, and that's including everything that it installs by default. It doesn't actually allow you to pick what you install. It just installs everything. And everything is quite a bit. I'm uh, In the drop-downs, the electronics menu shows all kinds of different um, electrical engineering applications and all this stuff. And like Richard said, under the ham radio section, there is pretty much every Linux and a lot of Windows ham radio applications installed on this thing. If you go under ham radio in the in the applications drop down, then there is folder after folder after folder of applications. Uh, there's probably, well, I'd say well over a hundred anyway, just in the ham radio drop down. And of course, it's in Ubuntu uh, distributions, so a lot of the things that are native to Ubuntu are also there, including your internet programs, Office like uh, Open Office sound and video tools, uh, Bluetooth capabilities, GPS accessories, and everything you'd have in a normal system. 
uh, for ham radio applications, uh, it definitely has just about everything, which would account for its two and a half gigabyte download size. Now, one thing I didn't do is check to see how big the uh, distribution is once it is installed, and I'll do that real quick here. Um, it looks like it uses about 11 gigs, uh, 11 gigs installed size. So it's about the same as uh, Windows XP or Windows Vista. That's pretty typical for a full-blown distribution. The partitioner was really simple. I liked it quite a bit. Uh, I, I enjoyed the install process. I don't usually do graphical installs, but I did it on this one, and it worked very simply. I still had the keyboard translation problem, even when you select uh, English and the U.S. keyboard style. Once you get into GNOME, you still have to go to the keyboard uh, preferences and change it from the French alternative to USA keyboard style. Otherwise, like I said, your keystrokes are going to be really strange. Once it was installed, the boot time went from 2 minutes to 30 seconds. Still didn't detect my screen resolution properly, but that's a minor annoyance if it's an annoyance at all. And this is still a beta release candidate, so I'm not expecting a whole lot. Overall, um, other than the fact that it's a huge download, it's not as big as Fedora or some of the other, uh, or Debian even for that matter, it's not something like Digipup, which is small, fast, lightweight, and easy to install and uh, off you go, but that is older. This is newer. It has every ham radio application you can think of. It has Wine built in and working. It has Compiz built in and working. It has Hamlive built in and working. For a throw a DVD in your computer, install, and be ready to you know do rig control and run PSK and slow scan TV, uh, Shackbox is definitely worth taking a look at. Yeah, and I'm gonna give it a give it a three quarter thumbs up myself because we will be watching this. As far as placement, usability on the desktop, other than the minor issues with the keyboard and that kind of stuff, uh, this has really got my attention. Those of you that have used Harv's Hamshack hack, you know, that's probably the best example we've had. Unfortunately, it's been a while, and it's kind of long in the tooth. One of the things I did find when I was going through uh, going through the different applications in Shackbox is the fact that most of them, even if they are not the most current, they are very close to being the most current software. Herb has spent a lot of time putting this together. And as with everything in amateur radio, you know, we're not getting paid for, for this stuff. He's not getting paid for this stuff. Um, in fact, I was looking at his page not too long ago, and he's just barely even asking for contributions over there. It is not for the faint of heart because it is still very much a beta, but I would suggest you guys that want to try something different, go over and try Shackbox. So you got anything else on Shackbox, Russ? No, like you, I would definitely recommend checking it out. It's uh, worth a look. It's well put together. It's uh, pretty well engineered, and I'd give it uh, three out of five right now just because of the fact that there are a few minor annoyances and it is still in beta but I'm sure it's going to be a 4 or a 5 out of 5 by the time all of that stuff gets refined, and it's going to obsolete things like Digipup and Harv's Hamshack Hack, that's for sure. So look for Shackbox in the future, and Herv, F0FAK, if he keeps developing this thing, it's going to be a great distribution for ham radio operators. We will be keeping an eye on it and keep you, let you all know. And uh, Herv, if you're listening out there, buddy, Keep up the good work, man, because you got you got something that's uh, really going to be beneficial. And with that, we've uh, we've gone a little long, so I think it's probably time for us to roll some more music, Russ. All right, that sounds good. I'll dig something out of the vault here, and we can all sit back and enjoy three or four minutes of a little intermission, and we'll come back on the other side talking about serial communications. Place at the top of the hill and around the back is a moonshine hill. On a Saturday night, it's the place to go. 
on, let's go. We'll drink and dance, we'll sing and fight. We'll race hell till the morning light. Pretty little girl by the name of Mary, sweet little thing from County Terry. Dance at the bar at the Ragged Crow, and they let her keep the money they throw. Just to just to satisfy y'all, I didn't pluck a string, blow on nothing. The harmonicas over there have been have been sitting on the shelf so long they keep looking at me with a forlorn look. I know y'all not here to hear me, y'all here to hear Russ, because he's the brains of the outfit. Anyway, let's talk about uh USB and serial ports. What brought this to mind is we were gonna this was on the list to talk with y'all about. Uh what brought what kind of pushed it ahead for me is the fact that I ended up with a new piece of equipment because my, my son can't keep viruses out of his computers, so he bought him a new one, and I got the old one. Uh, I like older equipment. Anyway, and for years and years, I I have fought uh, serial, serial cards so that I could have serial ports in my computers since they started only putting one serial port on them. The reason I did that is because I needed serial ports so I could run my sound card interfaces, program my radios, run my TNCs, all that good stuff. But nowadays we're getting to the point that it's really, really hard to uh, find a computer that has more than one serial port on it unless you special order them from the factory. And if I'm going to pay that much money, I'm going to have to keep it for 300 years. I wanted to try and get some of this stuff over to US, over on USB adapters. Now I've got several USB adapters laying around here. Some work, some work with Windows, some don't work with Windows, some, some will work with uh, Linux and some won't. And that's the deal. It's my understanding that some will work, some won't. The configuration of these things is a total mystery to me. So instead of having to send Russ a bunch of emails so that he's calling me bad names up there while he's trying to move his stuff around and stuff and and get to his other house and all that good stuff, I figured we'd get on here and let Russ talk about USB connectors. USB adapters and uh, and serial ports a little bit, and that way I can learn something too. Now, I'm sure, Russ, that uh, most of these guys want to kind of know how these USB to serial adapters work as far as, uh, well, in general, if you got uh, some information on that. Well, as far as USB to standard serial adapters, they uh, come in different varieties, and one of the things that's most important, at least as far as ham radio operators are concerned, is you want one 
that has circuitry inside of it so that when your software controls the serial port, it can actually do things like hard cross pins inside the serial part of the adapter so that you get proper rig control, so that you can get uh, PTT and so on. Now, a USB port by default doesn't have any of that capability. A serial port actually uh, had hardware capability. In fact, it even had hardware flow control where you could actually tell it to ground pins inside the port so that uh, it would know when to start and stop data transfer. USB only has four pins, uh, or five pins actually in the case of mini and micro USB connectors. Um, but there's the extra pin in those is for identification purposes. It's so software understands which kind of connector they are. But the pinout on a USB port is, uh, pin one is the power supply pin, which supplies 5 volt DC to the bus or the device or hub that's connected to the other end. Um, there are two pins for data transfer, uh, input and output. And then there's a signal ground. That's all the connectors there are in a USB uh, adapter. And some serial ports, uh, some USB to serial port adapters will only do the software side of the connection. They'll only pass the data. They'll only be able to do software flow control. And they won't actually be able to activate a push to talk um, because there's no circuitry inside the adapter in order to do the hardware part of crossing pins and actually closing circuits inside the serial port. Now, some actually have uh, that circuitry in the serial end of the connector, and they will allow the software to really mimic a serial port. They can actually do the hardware operations. And honestly, I don't know which ones do and which ones don't. Uh, Richard may have some better insight about which connectors actually work and which ones uh, just do the software side. I do have some general information on USB, but if you want to throw in your thoughts on rig control, you can do that, and I can get to some uh, USB data later. Most of y'all out there have been running computers for a while. You've probably used USB to serial connectors on your uh, Windows machines. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, at least gave it, a, gave it a shot on your Linux boxes. Those of y'all that are coming over, the same, uh, situations that you're going to run into in Linux are the ones you ran into on Windows. I have been able to do rig control and those kind of things at one point. My sound card interface, I key it with a serial port. One of the things I did find is that when I had the, the serial connect, the serial connector on the sound card interface hooked into the USB to serial adapter on the Windows machine I was running at the time. It would not key the transmitter. So yes, Russ is Russ is giving y'all the straight poop on that because sometimes these adapters will not uh, ground a pin that needs to be grounded or throw a, a, a small voltage like they're supposed to. But in a lot of cases, if you find the right serial to USB adapters, um, it's going to work for you. The ones I have around here, I have some that would work only on uh, Windows 2000, some that would only work on Windows XP. Now I have one for Vista, because I have to have that for my laptop to be able to program my radios, and it will work on all three of the previous systems just fine. What you're going to find out, you know, I keep targeting things towards Ubuntu because that's where the majority information is for the most part right now, the uh, the newer information. And one of the things I found out was there's a handful of USB ports that Ubuntu will find automatically if you plug them into the USB port. I had a list. I had a list of them, and I've misplaced it. But I will either get that posted over at Black Sparrow Media or I will get it posted over at the Linux and Hamshack website so that we at least have that list. And maybe we can build on that list so that uh, we are able to guide everybody in that direction. But, you know, this kind of equipment is important to us as amateur radio operators because whereas back in 1992 or 93. 
it was almost unheard of to have a, a computer in the radio sh- radio room. Now I don't know anybody. Well, I know one guy. One guy out of all the hams that I've met in the last 20 years that does not have a computer in his radio room. So let me let me say a couple things here while Russ is Russ is resting that uh, I found useful. Uh, there was a website that I was able to uh, track down, which will give you kind of give you uh, an opportunity to be able to find out if these USB connectors you got laying around the house, these uh, serial USB connectors laying around the house, are actually going to work with your system. I'm just going to do some excerpts, and the name of this is My Poppet GNU Linux Blog, is what it's called. The address for it is quite lengthy, and this is a subpage on there, but I'm going to pull this out. In fact, it's labeled as a How to Use USB Serial Port Converter in Ubuntu. I'm going to bypass a lot of the initial stuff. One of the first things you can do, there's uh, two programs that you want to concentrate on. One is called D-Message, D-M-E-S-G. The other one is LS-USB. You can go in there and type D-Message, and it'll give you a big, long list of everything that's going on. Down towards the bottom, if you have this, uh, have this adapter plugged in, down at the bottom of the list, it should show something that indicates that it sees that USB adapter. Okay, new full-speed USB device. Uh, new, I've got one I plug in here. It says new uh, HID device, which that would be like a mouse or a keyboard, something like that. Some other messages. Now, after that, if you unplug the USB to serial connector and type LSUSB, it's going to show you your serial buses. And I know this is a little advanced for some of you folks that don't get into the hardware much, but just bear with me because this is stuff that can be helpful. We'll see if we can't put a link in the show notes to this particular page so y'all can go find it. If you uh, type LSUSB, it'll bring up a list of the buses and uh, some of the things that are plugged in to that USB port. Now, remember, you've got your serial to USB adapter unplugged. So when you type it, it's not going to show it. When you plug it in and type LSUSB again, some additional lines, one or two, may show up, which will give you some information. It'll it'll show the bus number and device and an ID number for that device. Now, what are we going to do with the ID number? Well, if it's one of the one of the uh, adapters that's compatible with Ubuntu and uh, some of the others then you're not going to have to do anything. Over here, I plugged in uh, one of uh, one set I've got, plugged it in, plugged the cable for my for the uh, digital data on my D-Star radio in, plugged it in the back of the radio, fired up the program, and it ran like a champ. But then again, you may have to take that uh, vendor number and product number, and that's what those two numbers are, and go ahead and type in those numbers under another piece of software. Now, I know I sound a little little goofy on this because this is the first time I've really used these. The next one's going to be Mod Probe, M-O-D-P-R-O-B-E. If you want to fix that in, let's see what it says here. It says, now we know the vendor ID and the product ID of the USB to serial port converter. This will enable us to load the Linux kernel module USB serial to activate the device like this. And then there's a line, sudo mod probe, USB serial, vendor equals the vendor number, product equals product number. Now, you may have to do this. You may not. Russ is going to correct me on a bunch of this stuff when I finish talking. But this is giving him a chance to get his paperwork together. And everybody knows he's the brains of this outfit. So after you've done that, run dmessage again. And you should see some additional lines. Something like USB generic 1-2 colon 1.0 generic converter detected. USB 1-1 colon generic converter now attached. TTY USB 0. And whereas we use uh, COM1234 on uh, the Windows machines, we're on Linux now, y'all. So it's going to be TTY S0, TTY S1 for COM ports or uh, serial ports, and TTY USB 0 through whatever for USB ports. 
Okay. So once you've done that, it ought to show up. Now, like I said, there are quite a few USB to serial adapters that will run automatically. You plug them in, they work. And I will try to locate that list again, pare it down so it's, it's not too hard to work with. We can build on it here in the, in the live audience. We've got, uh, got a, uh, WA0EIR who's, uh, really proficient with Linux and, uh, some of the others that will hear that, hear us afterwards. Y'all can send that information in. And this time I'll remember to give y'all the email addresses. So how many faux pas did I throw out there, Russ? Not too many, really. Uh, I would only add that uh, the dmessage application, all it does is cat the boot or the kernel log from the log directory um, because anything that happens uh, to the kernel itself, things like loading modules for USB to serial adapters, wind up in the kernel log, and that's what dmessage does. It gives you the output from the kernel log ever since your computer was booted up. As far as LSUSB is concerned, that's a great application for looking at any USB device that's connected to your PC or whatever system you have running Linux. Uh, you can give it the dash V switch, which will give you verbose information. It's almost like debugging output. It gives you more information than you really want to know. Uh, just typing LSUSB just gives you a list of the devices, but if you want to find out a lot of information, including vendors uh, and a lot of the subsystem information about your USB devices, you can use the dash V switch. And as far as Modprobe is concerned, what happens is if you, uh, there are kernel module configuration files for every module in the system, and if your particular product ID and vendor ID are in that configuration file, when you plug your USB device in, your the kernel module will load automatically because it will have matched uh, the product ID and vendor ID, and it will know that it needs to load the module. So it may happen automatically. But if you've got a device that has a product ID or a vendor ID that doesn't match the kernel module configuration file, that's when you have to load the module manually and specify the product ID and vendor ID in the module load string using ModProbe. And you can actually edit the module configuration files if you want, put that module probe string in, and the next time you boot your PC, it will happen automatically. A uh, little bit of hacking involved there, but pretty simple hacking as it goes. I've got a few interesting facts about USB in general I can spout out, unless you've got something else to contribute. Oh, go for it, Russ. About all i got left is a wrap-up. <laughs> well, I just uh, found out some interesting things about USB when I was looking to uh, get some information for this topic tonight. Some of the things I found are that uh, there are different standards for USB. Everyone's familiar with USB 1.1 and USB 2.0, uh, most people realize that USB 1.1 is the original lower speed standard, but there's also USB 1.0, which came before that. Of course, there are USB 0.1 through 0.9, but 1.0, of course, was the first real standard. It's called low speed USB, and it has a maximum transfer rate of uh, 1.5 megabits per second. Now, USB 1.1 is called full-speed USB, and it has a transfer rate of 12 megabits per second. Now, interestingly, when you get to USB 2.0, uh, which is the current standard, there is a major jump in speed. It's called high-speed USB, and it goes from 12 megabits per second to 480 megabits per second. But what's really interesting is I discovered that there is a new standard called USB 3.0, the standard has been developed, but devices for it have not been. Uh, they're supposed to be coming out in late this year or early next year. Uh, USB 3.0 is called Super Speed USB, and it has a maximum transfer rate of 5 gigabits per second. Pretty nice, and I'll be interested to see how that's utilized. Uh, I, I can imagine a lot of uh, high-speed external storage is going to start using it. 
Uh, and there's also a standard, or I'm not sure if it's a standard exactly, but there are now using USB connectors for power connection, uh, not for data transfer. And interestingly, you can connect devices that draw up to one and a half amps for battery charging through USB. At higher speeds, you lose data transfer unless you drop that down to about 0.9 amps. And that's something I wasn't even sure, uh, wasn't even aware of. I know that, uh, like iPods and various devices use USB to recharge their batteries and so forth, but I didn't realize that they're actually using it to standardize battery charging via USB. That's what I dug up on USB. Uh, hopefully I didn't bore too many people with that, but back to you. What else you got? One more thing about uh, about uh, serial ports and USB connectors. When you run these uh, pieces of software in Linux, unlike in uh, in XP or Vista or I don't know how Mac is, when you plug a USB connector in, it's not going to look like a serial port uh, unless you tell it to do so. It's my understanding that you can create a link and make it answer to COM1, COM2, COM3. But... Uh, uh, one of the things I've found since I've started using these adapters and got them working is that uh, most of the software that I am attempting to use uh, under the Linux operating system, when I go to click to uh, to point it to the right port, uh, whereas it'll say well, COM1, COM2, COM, uh, well, COM1 and COM2 are TTYS0 and TTYS1, uh, when I open it up to point it at the right port, when this, these USB adapters are plugged in, it also shows TTY USB 0, TTY, TTY USB 0, TTY USB 1, and uh, that kind of stuff. So the majority of, this, uh, majority of these applications are aware of whether a USB adapter is plugged in or not. Okay, well, I pretty much run my head all I can about it because, you know, Russ is the brains of this outfit. Russ is pretty much a... Run, run himself. You know, we could get into uh, a fairly in-depth discussion discussion on serial ports because I've been running TNCs for twenty years, and I always had to kind of know that stuff. Before that, I was uh, having to build dongles to get around software issues when I was running uh, bulletin boards, uh, telephone bulletin boards. So we could get kind of in-depth once again, just like anything else. Uh, we suggest that. Uh, you go out on the web and look this stuff up. For you Ubuntu and Debian users, go to the forums at Ubuntu and Debian. For you Red Hat, Fedora, uh, CentOS folks, go on over to the appropriate forums for whatever distribution you're running. So uh, what do you got to wrap it up with, Russ? Well, I've got about 60 minutes of boring information on serial ports, which I think I'm going to pass on. If somebody really needs serial ports, we can do a special edition or or something. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I'm think we'll let that go for right now. Uh, I, we've been boring enough. With that, I guess we better throw the information and get on out of here, Russ. What do you think? Sounds good to me. Okay. Well, there you go. If we haven't run you off, and if we're on the air in Tasmania, we do want everybody to know that. You can say, if you want to get a hold of me, you can send me an email at kb5jbv at blacksparrowmedia.com. kb5jbv at blacksparrowmedia.com. Not JVB, not KBV. Juliet Bravo Victor. Kilo Bravo 5, Juliet Bravo Victor at blacksparrowmedia.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter. It's twitter.com slash kb5jbv. And I encourage you to visit the website at www.blacksparrowmedia.com slash LHS. LHS. And uh, Russ will give you all his information when I shut up. This is me <laughs> shutting up now. If you want to email me, you can feel free to send it to k5tux at blacksparrowmedia.com. And Richard gets all of the hate mail, although we haven't had any so far. This is good. He usually tries to send it my way, but even I'm not getting any, so that's okay. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash jrwoodman. And you can follow the program on Twitter as well at twitter.com slash hamshacklinux. 
and I will be posting updates on when we're going to do the live feed and anything else I find relevant to the program. And right now I'm sort of in transition between posting to myself and posting to the Hamshack Linux Twitter account. So I'm still doing both right now, but I'm hoping to get enough people over onto Hamshack Linux that I can just do updates over there. That way I can have my own place in the Twitterverse. Uh, make sure you check out the website, blacksparrowmedia.com slash LHS. You can go to the forums if you want to talk about Linux or amateur radio in general at blacksparrowmedia.com. Click on, click on the forums link. And uh, I'm actually on a bunch of other sites like Identica and, uh, you know, Facebook and blah, 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 blah. You know, if it's a social networking site, I've been sucked into it. I'm sure Richard's on a few of those as well. So you can find us out there. And, of course, we want to thank everybody for downloading us again this week and for tuning in and listening to Episode 9. And hopefully you'll stick around for Episode 10 through, you know, however many we get to. Well, there you go, and y'all, y'all make sure you download us. You go come see us. You go over to Black Sparrow Media main website where the forums are. Tell your friends. Put us on the air. We just ask that you let people know where it came from. Spread the word because we're growing faster in the blogs than we're doing anywhere else. And y'all come see us when we record next time because we like having people in our live audience. So with that. I'm Richard down here in North Texas. And I'm Russ up in North Central Arkansas. And we are some people. Y'all have a good evening.